If you're able, you remain standing. And for our scripture reading this morning, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read verses 12 through 17. As we are going to consider the Christian life as a life of movement towards holiness. So this is the word of our Lord, Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit would take hold of your word and take hold of our hearts and open our eyes to see wonderful things concerning you in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The, the life of the Christian is a dynamic life. Everything in his life, everything in her life is moving toward Christ. We are all about change. Change is the norm in the Christian life. And that can be difficult uh, for a lot of us who like things to stay constant, for things to stay the same. This idea of the life of the Christian being a constant movement of change is what we call progressive sanctification. Our shorter catechism defines this process or defines the life of the Christian in this way. It says that sanctification is a work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So the life of the Christian is just that. It's that process in which the grace of God is working in us so that everything that happens to us is with the goal of, become, of causing us to be more holy, to causing us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that includes suffering in our lives. The book of Hebrews is written to a congregation that's suffering persecution, and not for the first time. This congregation has suffered persecution several times, and now they're considering leaving the faith because things are really hard. They're thinking, you know what, things were better before we came to Christ. Can't we just go back to Judaism, to how it was before Christ? We're still going to worship God, we're still going to go to the temple, and but we just can't bear anymore under the suffering that this faith has brought upon us. So... Suffering in the life of this congregation was threatening its movement toward Christ. So the Holy Spirit reminds them that even suffering in life comes from the hand of a good, loving, and merciful God. Look at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 12. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. 
For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So the Holy Spirit tells us that suffering is designed to help us be conformed to Jesus Christ, even though it is not pleasant. Look at verse 11 of chapter 12. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See how real the Bible is? It doesn't say, oh, suffering is not hard. It doesn't say, oh, suffering is just, you just go through it. It's easy. No, it says it's painful, but yet it has a design to it. It is to make you more like Jesus Christ. I think the Christian worldview gives way more meaning to suffering than a view that says that there is no God, that everything happens at random. If that's the case, then whatever it is you're going through means absolutely nothing. Yet the scriptures tell us that whatever suffering you and I may go through, we do that because Christ is shaping us to be more like Him. And because of that, then the Holy Spirit, because, of, because suffering is designed to propel us toward Christ, the Holy Spirit tells this church here in the letter to the Hebrews, get up and move. Don't sit there just wallowing in your suffering. Get up and move. Remember, they're thinking about moving away from Christ because things are too, too hard. Their faith, their growth in their faith has come to a halt because they are too concerned about the suffering that's coming into their lives. And the Spirit says, don't stay there. Keep on moving. The suffering is designed to make you move forward and to move towards Christ. And this passage that we read this morning comes in the context of this race that the Christian is running. Verse 1 of chapter 12 tells us that that's what we're doing, that we have this cloud of witness that have gone before us, to cheering us on, saying, Christ has done it for you. He has done it for us. The proof that that is true is that we have arrived at the end. You can do that as well. I don't know if you guys have ever been involved in sports, but sports was a big part of my life growing up and the idea of having a cheering crowd always makes made uh, getting to the end a little more a little easier uh, uh, a little more doable and the encouragement to being there of, of the crowd gave was great and that's how our life is even though we're going through suffering we have this crowd who has gone through these things telling us that we can do that as well and the spirit then exhorts us here in verses 12 through 17 to keep on going and this exhortation these, uh, that we find in verses 12 and 13, through 17 are built on three allusions to Old Testament passages. Uh, the, the member the book of Hebrews is written to a Jewish Christian church and is filled with Old Testament quotes, but also allusions. An allusion is when you're not quoting word for word, but you give enough information that your mind goes to a passage in the Old Testament. And it's true of what we read here. In verse 12, we read of the idea of strengthening the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And what the author is doing, what the Spirit is doing, is bringing Isaiah 35 into the picture. In Isaiah 35, the Lord is speaking and says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, 
with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. That's the image that the Holy Spirit is trying to trigger in the heads of those, in the minds of those who would would hear this letter read. In verse 13, he speaks about making straight the path for your feet. And immediately there will be several passages that come to mind. Uh, Isaiah's prophecy of, of, of John the Baptist, but especially Proverbs 4, 26, where there the, the proverb says, Ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. And then verse 14 talks about pursuing peace and holiness. And that would have triggered Psalm 34, verse 14, where it says, Depart from evil and do good, seek, seek peace and pursue it. So that's the exhortation we have for this morning from the Spirit, these, three, this, this threefold exhortation to keep on moving toward Christ. Strengthen, in verse 12. Make straight, in verse 13. Pursue, in verse 14. So look with me again at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which have... Hand, whoops, sorry. The lack of the tie is getting to me. See, I don't know if I can finish this sermon without a tie on. Um, (laughs) Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. The idea communicated by this word of strengthening is is of strengthening by making straight again. That's how these people are going to be strengthened, by being made straight again. This is the verb form from which we get the English prefix ortho. So like in orthodontics, orthopedics, orthodoxy. All have to do with making teeth straight, bone straight, and to have the right doctrine before God. It's, uh, this word that, that here translated make, to strengthen, to make strong, is often the word and used when Jesus would heal somebody who was crooked and that person would become uh, straight again. Remember the, the story of the woman who came that was bent for years and Jesus made her straight again? This is what Luke says. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. That word made straight there is the same one in verse 12 which talks about strengthen the hands which are droopy, which are hanging now. Can you can you picture in your mind this idea of somebody having droopy hands? No, no kind of like uh, when Alex was younger and still to this day sometimes he'd go no, jokingly uh, when we asked him to do something he didn't like hmm! <laughs> 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 and uh, that's the idea the, but the, the idea is not of being upset but being discouraged and having your hands down at your side. And here's not referring to a physical making straight again, but a spiritual one of the one who is bent because of the weight of suffering in his life. The description of the hands hanging down to the side of the body is a very vivid description of discouragement and being not ready to compete or do anything. Remember, the context is it's verse 1 of the chapter. We're supposed to be running a race, and you can't run a race well if you're all bent down. So they need to be straightened in order to be able to run that race. And the same, the same thing goes with the feeble knees. The idea here is not just weak knees. You know, we have an English expression that says that we, we, your knees are knocking when you're nervous or afraid of something. That's not what meant here. This is uh, knees that won't function at all, have ceased to work, to function, is a word elsewhere translated as paralyzed or paralytic. 
Uh, remember when the guy, the friends bring the guy to the house and they can't get into the house because it's full and Jesus is inside and they really wanted this friend who's paralyzed to be healed and they climb onto the roof and they take the shingles off and the tiles off and they lower the guy. The word there for that guy is the same as the one for feeble knees here, paralyzed or the paralytic there. So the picture that we have here is this. Picture in your mind. An athlete running a race, and somewhere in the middle of the race, she collapses and goes limp. That's the picture being painted here, but in the spiritual realm. that The person has just gotten the place because of the pressures of life that she or he is not able to do that anymore, just collapse. I remember, I think it was the 84 Olympics, but it may have been the 88 Olympics, where um, this, this woman is the last one to arrive in a women's marathon. And she comes into the stadium, and she's just, you know, he, she can't do it anymore. And before the finish line, she just goes down, and that's the end of it. That, that's the idea. Uh, that's how the Spirit sees the church of the Hebrews. That's how the Spirit sees sometimes the Christian, who, just because of the pressures of life, has succumbed and not been able to run the race Anymore, The pressures of life, suffering, life in general, have made the person unfit to run the race of life with Jesus Christ. Uh, Leon Morris was a, was a commentator, said, The exhortation implies that the readers are acting as those spiritually paralyzed. They are urged to put things right and get moving. So, and the idea is, in the context of suffering, don't let suffering paralyze you. It's actually suffering is given you to, in order for you to arrive at the end of your race. So don't stop in the middle. Don't fall in the middle. Go to the end of the race. It's interesting that in verse, two, in verse 1 of chapter 12 says that we are, looking unto, we are running the race looking unto Jesus. Is that what it says? The idea is that Jesus is at the end of the race waiting for us and encouraging us and with his arms ready. And the time to fall is when we fall at the end of the race into his arms. Not before uh, the pressure of life. So what's the solution that the Spirit offers for this? He says, well, you make him straight. You help the one who has droopy hands. You help the one who has feeble knees by making him straight. It's interesting that in verse 12, when it says strengthen the hands, the word strengthen is a plural word. You all strengthen the hands that are droopy. The other runners are to come and straighten the fallen runner up. You ever, you've probably seen videos of people doing that in races where a runner falls down and the other one stops and helps him up and they finish the race uh, together. That's the idea that's given. That's the idea of straightening out. S- somebody's collapsed. They don't have the energy to do anymore. You go, we all go around that person and you raise that person up. And we, for a little while at least, we help them continue the race by our energy, by the, our faith as they get Re-energize as they get ready again to continue their, their own race. This corporate responsibility for each other's faith and perseverance to the end is stressed throughout the book of Hebrews. And you get that, that we are all responsible for each other's race as well. Sometimes we, we live such an individualistic uh, society and worldview that we think that's just about me and Jesus and that's it. And yet we are all part of each other's race as, as well. And sometimes we do need to just lean on somebody 
to carry us for a little bit as we deal with the things that are going on in our lives. And this is present throughout the book of Hebrews. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 13. There the Spirit says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. When is it we need other runners to come along our, 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 ourselves? Here it says daily. Look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains to, of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Again, together we're doing this. Look at verse 11 of chapter 4. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Look at verse 24 of chapter 10. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The, the motto, one of the models of the Marines is leave no man behind, which may actually be the motto of a lot of the military branches, but leave no man behind. That's really the motto of Christianity as well, the motto of the church. We are not to leave any behind. We together cross that line. Uh, have, ever, have you ever watched a game show in which in order for the team to win, the entire team has to cross the finish line, that is the Christian life. We're not competing with one another. It's not for, oh, I need to get there first before somebody else. We only win if we all arrive together at the finish line. And that's what the Spirit is exhorting us to do as well. Now, how do we strengthen the weak? I think the Old Testament passage that verse 12 alludes to in chapter 12 will help us figure out. Remember I told you that verse 12 alludes to Isaiah 35, verses 3 and 4. This is why, listen to what Isaiah 35, 3 and 4 says. It says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. So that's the commandment. You do that. That's the same thing that Hebrews is commanding us. You, you strengthen them. And this is how you're going to do it, Isaiah says. Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong and do not fear. How? By giving them this message. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So how do we strengthen the, the weak? By pointing them to God. That's, that's, what Isaiah, that's what God says through Isaiah. And particularly to the coming of God. That is the coming of Jesus Christ. Both comings. First and second. We point them to the cross. That's how any Christian strengthens. By being pointed to the cross of Christ now, how the cross has vindicated us. God has already taken revenge of our sins. How the Father has taken vengeance on our sins on the cross. How we have been recompensed or rewarded by what Christ did on our behalf. How we have been saved from sin, from Satan, and from the wrath of God. How, how we can persevere through suffering. Because He, Christ, persevered through the cross and rose again on the third day. So how do we strengthen the weak? By pointing them to the cross of Jesus Christ. But also we point them for the coming again of Christ. That this life is not all that there is. This life at times will stink. 
and there is real suffering in this life. And if this was all that we had, we might as well just end it. Uh, Paul, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, a uh, well-known 20th century existentialist philosopher, professor at the Sorbonne, would start his class on, on existentialism, which is the philosophy that says that you should seek for truth within yourself. He would start every semester with a warning. The logical conclusion, he would say to his students, the logical conclusion of what I'm teaching you is suicide. Because if all that there is is what's in your heart, then there's no reason to live. But this is not all that there is. This is not all that there is. Christ is coming back. We have an eternal home. We are, we're going to be resurrected and forever be with our Lord. We'll see Him face to face as He is, for we will be like Him. All the sufferings will cease. All, all sin will be removed. There will be nothing keeping us from perfect fellowship with Him. And that's something that strengthens the weak. That's something that strengthens anyone that follows Jesus Christ. As we, as we read in the Gospels that Jesus straightened out the physically crooked, he also straightens up those who are his but have been bent under the pressure of life. Is that where you are? Are you, are you bending under the pressure of life? Is, are your knees knocking? Are your knees coming uh, out from under you? Are your hands drooping? See Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's not going to let you stumble in the middle. He's going to make sure that you get there. And if you're doing well in your faith, look for people that you can support, that you can pick up, that you can carry for them. As it were, believe for them for a little season as they recover from the pressures of life so that you can walk around uh, along them. The second exhortation is in verse 13 of uh, Hebrews chapter 12 where it says, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Now, the same idea is now communicated with a, uh, with a different word picture. Instead of a, uh, a, a stronger, stronger runners coming alongside the runner who collapsed in the middle of the road, they are going ahead of the handicapped runner, making sure that the track is straight. Uh, picture the Paralympic, uh, uh, the Paralympics now, and you have a handicapped runner, perhaps a blind runner, or a guy running or a girl running without legs, or whatever it is. And the imagery is that these people are going ahead of the runner, making sure that the path is straight. Not in the sense of straight without curves, but in the sense of straight without bumps. You know, um, Handel made famous, made famous in Messiah the, uh, the song that says that every valley will be lifted up, every hill will be brought low. And even in the score of the song, he, he can see that movement of uh, the valleys being brought up and the hills being brought low. That's the idea. That we go alongside those that may be handicapped, as it were, in their faith, that they're struggling with suffering their lives, and we go ahead of them, and we, we plane their way. We make so that they w- won't stumble. That it, they'll need that for a while. They'll need that walker or, their, or those training wheels to, to get their faith going again and be able to continue their journey. And again, it's a plural word. 
is the corporate duty of the church. It's our duty to come along and make the path straight. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, this idea of making the path straight was only uh, said on behalf of kings. So the idea is that uh, the, the, the servants of the king would go ahead of them, of the king, and would make his journey straight, or his path uh, plain, so that the, the chariot or whatever wouldn't be bumpy and it would be a comfortable ride for uh, the king. Isn't that what John the Baptist does for Jesus? He came to prepare the way, to make the way uh, plain for uh, the Lord uh, Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that the lame is king, but that he but that the lame is important to the strong. Do you get that? That the lame is important to the strong, to the, to the point that if needed, the strong will go ahead of the weak and work really hard at making the path, a path that the weak can go through till he's strong enough to deal with the issues of life more, more directly. And how do we make the path the track plane. Well, verses 15 through 17 specifically tells us that, but we can also learn from what John the Baptist did in preparing the way for King Jesus. What did he do before Jesus came to prepare, to make the path plain? He proclaimed the gospel. And we tend to, tend to think the gospel is only for people to get saved and then we go do something else, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that keeps on going through life. It is a gospel of repentance, of daily repentance as we grow in the Lord. He made the way plain by pointing to the kingdom of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what his message was? As he's there in the Jordan River baptizing, and he looks up and sees Jesus coming down the shores of the Jordan. What is it that he says about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It is in moments of weaknesses, that in every moment of life, of life, but especially moments of weakness and suffering, that we need to be reminded that we have the Lord Jesus who has taken away the guilt of our sins and who has brought us together with the Father, and now we have eternal fellowship with Him. That the enemy might be attacking us, our heart may be betraying us, or, or whatever it's going on in this world, Jesus Christ sticks closer than a brother. He's that friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's that friend who gave his life for us and who is actually our elder brother who's gone before us and enables us to keep on going. So we strengthen, we make straight, and then in verse 14, we pursue peace. Look at verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And this is really the third command on the triad to encourage people who have been somewhat paralyzed by the Christian life, uh, in the Christian life. is the, the third triad, the third command is to pursue peace. This is a categorical command to do what you can do to be at peace with all people. It's not complicated. All means all here in this particular passage. And this includes all and our enemies. That reflects the teaching of our Lord. What is it that we're commanded to do in Matthew chapter 5? We've heard it said, hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This includes those who have hurt us. Romans 12 says that we're not repay evil for evil, but evil with good. Now, what is peace? What is this peace? Well, it is the absence of strife and contention. It is the absence of animosity and bitterness. It is the absence of anger. 
It is also the presence of goodwill toward the people around us. The ability to forgive and ask for forgiveness. And it is also the lack of focus on self and focus on others. That's part of the peace that we are to pursue according to the scripture. For example, in Romans 14, he's dealing with the idea of some people saying that you should eat meat and some people saying that you should not eat meat. And this is how Paul responds to that question. In Romans 14, starting at verse 19, he says, Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. And how do we do that? He says, Look, if you think eating meat is what you should do, that's great. But for the sake of other people, why don't you just go a season without eating meat? And if you think eating meat is wrong, that's, that's okay, that's fine for you. But don't, don't be upset with people that eat meat. What is Paul saying? If you want to be at peace, don't focus on yourself. The focus should not be on yourself, but how you can serve somebody else. And that's one of the ways that we pursue peace with all people. And perhaps one of the things that was paralyzing this congregation that the letter of Hebrews was written to was their desire for revenge their animosity toward those who were persecuting them. It's, as we read, it seems like they were, they were thrown in prison, some of them already. Their possessions have been taken away. And you can see bitterness uh, coming up there. And the Holy Spirit tells them and tells us that to move forward in the race of life with Jesus, they must pursue peace, not revenge. And this pursuit is a diligent pursuit in the parallel passage of Romans 12, 18, Paul says, if it, is, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live at peaceably with all men. The Bible, again, is, 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 a re, is about reality. It says that sometimes somebody will not want to be at peace with you. But as far as you're concerned, you're doing whatever you can to be at peace with all people. And this is a constant pursuit. The way that's written is a present imperative tells us that you keep on constantly pursuing peace with all people. And this pursuit is a characteristic of the sons and daughters of God. Remember the beatitude? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall what? Shall be called sons, and we can say daughters of God. Now the pursuit of peace with all people is not, however, to be done at the expense of holiness. Peace is not the ultimate goal in life. The glory of God is the ultimate goal in life. Peace is a means to declare God's glory. Therefore, it must be pursued according to God's terms. Peace is only godly peace when the law of God has not been violated in order for peace to be achieved. If holiness is compromised, then the peace is not the peace of God that passes all understanding but the peace of Satan that leads to judgment, as here in, in our passage says in verse 14, that without which, without the holiness, no one will see the Lord. And that is why every officer in the Bible Presbyterian Church takes an oath swearing to keep the peace and the purity of the church. Both always have to go together. What happens if we don't do that? What happens if we don't strengthen the weak. What happens if we don't make straight the, the one that's bent down? What happens if we don't pursue peace? I think verses 15 to 17 tells us what happens there. They describe the danger of neglecting the three exhortations of the previous verses. It says there in verse 15, Looking carefully, lest anyone shall fall short 
of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. It is dangerous not to pursue, not to strengthen the weak. It's dangerous not to make it straight, not to pursue peace and holiness. The word translated looking carefully is again a plural word, which means that all are to be looking carefully that these things are being done. Not the common, it's not the common word for looking either. It's the, com- it's the word that often translates over- as oversight. is the word from which we get the word episcopal from or bishop from. So the Holy Spirit tells us to exercise oversight over one another in the race of life to make sure we all get to the end. In, in, in one way, we are responsible for each other's salvation. That might sound weird to you, but I'll try to explain that. But just let that sink in. In one way, we are responsible for each other's salvation. We are responsible to oversee the race of each other. We are responsible to make sure that we all arrive at the end. Do you notice the three lests in, in, these, uh, in these verses? When we do not pay attention to these three exhortations that are not in each other's lives, making sure we are moving together to the finish line, we are in danger of missing the grace of God. Hebrews is very clear in the warnings it gives of the, the corporate nature of our life, the corporate nature of our walk with Christ. Now, those who are truly in Jesus Christ will persevere to the end. If you're, you have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, you will arrive at the end. You will come into the arms of Jesus. There is no falling away from that. But one of the means God has appointed for us to persevere to the end is His people coming alongside us and helping us in our race. Yes, you're going to persevere to the end. And the means that God is going to use, one of the means is that other people in your life, other Christians, bringing you along to that end. And when that doesn't take place, we fail to receive the grace of God that is necessary to persevere to the end. And there are two sides to this truth. One is, we must, follow, we must allow God's people in our lives. We have to allow people into our lives. No man, the, the, the philosopher was right, no man is an island. And we must allow people in our lives so that they can help us pursue Christ. And the other side is, we must pursue coming along others and helping them pursue Christ. You must be interested in other people. If you're only interested in yourself, that's not an evidence that you know Christ. An evidence that you know Christ is that when you are interested in other people, when your life is not just about yourself, you're also looking for the interest of others. And when we, not, when we don't pay attention to these three exhortations of verses 12, through 14 and are not in each other's lives making sure we are moving towards the, the finish line we're giving room for bitterness in our lives notice that's not just bitterness the root of bitterness which is the of there works as an equal sign the root which is bitterness when we are not doing the things that uh, by God's grace that uh, he describes in verses 12 through 14. 
we're in danger of letting a bitterness grow, and that becomes the root of everything that we do, that your life becomes governed by bitterness, by resentment, by a desire to punish other people, to get your way with other people. And this is true in both the corporate and individual levels, and it causes defilement. So you can see how dangerous this is to, to not come along people, to not strengthen the weak, to not make the way place for the lame, to not pursue peace and holiness, because we're going to create a bitterness in our hearts, and particularly in the hearts of those that need our encouragement, and their lives are going to be directed by that bitterness. So we cannot afford being paralyzed in our spiritual life. We, we, that we, can't, we have to be moving forward, and we can't afford allowing others to be paralyzed either. It's, it's, a, it's all or nothing in the church of Jesus Christ. So either we all arrive at the end, or none of us arrive at the end. We need to be in this together. We must strengthen each other. We must smooth the way for each other. We must pursue peace with all people so that we all cross the finish line of life together and we hear from our Savior. Can you imagine that? We all together, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, hearing from our Savior, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And that's what we were about. Moving towards Christ in holiness of life, encouraging one another to move towards that day as well. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you have saved us to be part of the church and that together we are moving towards Christ and enable us, give us grace and strengthen us in order to be able to do that and to be an encouragement to each other and to be instruments in your hands in enabling each other to arrive at the end. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.